questions and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. How do you answer someone who says ethics is subjective and relative to each person? Why did God command genocide in the Old Testament? And how can there be just one true religion? These are some of the challenging questions Pat addressed after speaking to a group of college and high school students in New York recently. Now, with part three of his series, Going Through Tough Questions About God, Evil, and Suffering, is our host, Pat Zukran. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, we're finishing up our series on the tough questions that the students from Cornell University asked me there as I was speaking at the First Chinese Church of Ithaca. Some very tough questions after I gave a message on if God exists, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? So you want to listen to the entire series, go to our website there at evidenceandanswers.org and you can hear the entire series of all the questions they asked and other tough questions uh, that Christians have asked from all over the world. Well, let's wrap up the series here with the next question. You mentioned how atheists need to have a moral standard in order to talk about evil. I have a peer that tells me he lives comfortably with a subjective moral standard and he believes subjective morality is the way things are. I've spoken to him a few times on this topic, but he does not seem to be convinced that objective morality exists. Therefore, we cannot say things are evil for all people. I've even asked him if he thinks murdering innocents and torturing babies are objectively evil. But he says it is all subjective. How do we respond to this type of person? Well, one of the tests of a worldview or an ideology is the test of livability. Can someone live it out consistently? And a moral relativist can never live out their ideology consistently. They cannot. I remember that there was a student pontificating moral relativity, uh, just same thing that this student was. And I said, oh, okay, great. When he was done, I picked up his car keys and I walked out the door and he said, hey, you can't do that. And I said, what do you mean you can't do that? What do you mean I can't do it? And he said, well, you can't. I said, why not? He said, well, that's stealing. I said, no, it's not. I left you my car keys. My car is older than yours, and but you know I'm a traveling speaker, so I need a better car, and I think it's a fair exchange. You're a student, you don't drive as much, and, and you're pretty financially well off, so I, I think it's fair. I said, and that's what I think. And he said, well, you can't, that's wrong, that's stealing. I said, why is it stealing? And he said, well, I own the car, you know, he was kind of stuck. And I said, you're pointing to a higher law that I should be obeying and that you should be obeying. Are you saying an objective moral standard exists? You know, and, and he was kind of stuck. So they can pontificate this, but when something bad happens to them on a personal level, suddenly, hey, there's an objective moral law that they point to and say, you can't. When they say something like that, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. They're appealing to a higher moral law that you should abide by, and so should they. You know, I remember talking to a Chinese student, and I said, well, then, I tried to give him as ridiculous an example as I could. I said, then, are you saying 
that what Hitler did was right, and he said, well, for Hitler and the Nazis, it was right. Okay, the genocide of all six million Jews, that for them it was right, it was right. Who are you to judge? And he had me kind of stunned for a while. And then I said, all right, because I knew he was from China, right? I said, is what the Japanese military did in World War II in Manchuria, was that wrong? And he said, oh yeah, that was wrong. You know how many people they murdered and women they raped? And I said, why? I said, according to the Japanese, it wasn't. According to the Japanese, Chinese are subhuman. You know, so for them, that was right. And he got stuck for a little while. Saying, how can you say that's wrong? Because for the Japanese, that was right. You're pointing to an objective moral standard that Chinese and Japanese should live by. And he was kind of stuck there. So see, when you bring it home and you make it personal, then you realize that's a standard they cannot live by. Watch them when they go to a store. If they pay $20 for a carton of milk, which costs $5, if the cashier gives them a dollar back, you're going to see them going, hey, hey, you're wrong. you, you got to give me 15 more dollars. All right? Or something like that happens to them. They're pointing to an objective moral standard. All right? If somebody discriminates against them, they don't get a job because they're white or black or Asian or Latino, you watch them respond, okay? I mean, they're going to point to an objective moral law. So though they may pontificate this in their dorm room or classroom, when the rubber meets the road, they cannot live out what they believe. Nobody can hold to a subjective moral or, or a moral relativity. They just cannot live it out, okay? Next, why did God command the genocide of peoples in the Old Testament? A good question. Well, this is in the Old Testament when Israel was a theocracy. A theocracy is where God is the ruler, all right? And in a theocracy, God often used Israel as a tool of judgment. And when they came into the land of Canaan, God told people, these wicked civilizations need to be wiped out, all right? They cannot pass down their wicked practices and let it infiltrate into the people of Israel. What kind of things were going on there? Well, if you read Deuteronomy, if you read the book of Chronicles and Kings, you see the wicked practices of the Canaanite civilizations there. They were involved in the worship of Molech, Molech, you know, is a god, he has his hands outstretched and you fire up his hands so they turn red and then you place children on those red hands and the children scream and burn to death. And then as they curl up, they roll down the arms of Molech into his fiery belly. So child sacrifice was a part of their religion. Temple prostitution, child trafficking. Uh, child prostitution. I mean, those are the things that were going on in these Canaanite civilizations, all right? And they were so wicked, it was beyond redemption already. Those were not possibly to be redeemed. And so civilizations that are beyond redemption, God said, wipe them out. Don't let these kinds of practices get into the culture. Just, you got to wipe it out. Just like a virus, all right, or bacteria. You just got to wipe them out. And you see when Israel did not do that, it entered into the land of Israel. And, and we read in the book of Kings and Chronicles 
that even Solomon, the king of Israel, ended up sacrificing children to Molech. That's kind of wickedness that came in and corrupted the nation of Israel. That's why God said you got you got to wipe them out. Okay. For example, if I were the sheriff of Ithaca, the city you're in, and right across the street you knew there's a temple there that performs child sacrifice, that is involved in human trafficking, child prostitution, child pornography, those kinds of things, and it's going on right across the street, drugs, uh, all those things, all right? And I was a sheriff and I came by and you brought it to my attention. You said, Sheriff, this temple right here is involved in child prostitution, in human trafficking, in child sacrifice, in murder, in drugs, you know, and I said, I know, I know, let's let them be. In fact, why don't we just love them and fund their cause and allow them to continue? I mean, you would have me fired in a minute. That is unloving and unjust to allow that to continue. Well, God allowed these civilizations to go on for centuries. They did not heed his warning, and so eventually they're beyond redemption already, and so God needs to wipe them out. And, you know, also there's an act of mercy there as well. You know, what about the children? Well, in the Bible, there appears to be an age of accountability, the age of accountability when children can make moral decisions. And should they die before they reach that age of accountability, there's grace and God allows them to enter into heaven. So children who don't reach that age they're spared from growing up in this very corrupt society. So even in there, there is an act of grace. Now, remember, this Old Testament holy war only applies in the land of Israel, okay? And it's for defensive measures to protect the Israelite children in the land or to judge wicked nations. And that's it. That's very different from jihad in Islam, okay? In the Old Testament, holy war was upon specific cities and specific civilizations, okay? And once that was over, that was it. And it didn't go beyond the land of Israel, all right? So if you want to apply Old Testament holy law today, you're going to have to find some Amalekites and Perizzites, and you're going to have to find those people. And of course, they don't exist, okay? But jihad is the way Islam was spread. Muhammad was a warrior. Man fought in 30 wars, plus you add on top of that all the caravan raids that he made. And the four caliphs spread Islam to the sword. And if you read the Quran, jihad is worldwide. It's upon the entire world until the world comes under the banner of Islam. All right, That's different from Old Testament holy war, that once that civilization was judged and eliminated, that's it. That's where it comes to an end. Right, next, why should I consider Christianity when Christians have caused so much injustice throughout history? Or if Christianity is true, why are there so many Christian hypocrites? Well, it is true that there have been times people have used the name of Christ for unjust causes throughout history. That is true. However, okay, when they have done so, we can point to the Bible and say that goes against what Jesus and the apostles taught and modeled and lived. When you look at Christianity, you don't measure it by the failure of its followers. You measure it by what the Bible teaches, that is the source of authority, and its founder, 
how did Jesus Christ live? And that is the model. And yes, there are times, for example, there are Christians who have been racist, okay? And use the name Christian in their, Christ, in their racist cause. Well, I can point you right to the Bible uh, where Paul says in Galatians, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, we're all one in Christ. You know, racism goes against the very teachings of the Bible. John chapter 4, Jesus reached out to the adulterous Samaritan woman. Racism goes against the teachings of Christ. And it is the Bible that in the end corrected has been the standard which has corrected many civilizations and brought them to a better more just position you know for example slavery did christians own slaves yes but once they understood that these africans were indeed human beings made in the image of god it is the christians and it's the principles of biblical teaching that corrected much of western europe and the united states and it is the christians who led and fought against and eventually eliminated the slave trade all right so though christians failed it was actually the bible and christian teaching that brought them that corrected that teaching and when you look christianity has done tremendous good throughout the world more hospitals are created in the name of christ than any other person the medical movement is started because of christian worldview modern science many people don't know is birth from the Christian worldview. And it's the Christian worldview that allowed science to flourish for hundreds of years. Many of uh, our court systems, legal systems, are built on the principles that the Bible teaches. The majority of schools have been created, orphanages, charities in the name of Christ. And, anyone else you know you don't see many buddhist hospitals or hindu hospitals most of them are christian anywhere you go around the world so christianity has done a tremendous good yes there have been failures right but you don't measure any ideology or religion by its failure you look at what it teaches the bible and its founder christianity is true why are there so many hypocrites well because we're sinful fallen beings and that's why you know we rely on the grace of god and we admit we are sinners and we cannot live out god's law perfectly and that's why we rely on his son jesus christ and the forgiveness he brings through the cross and the person asking that question needs to ask themselves have they lived up to their own standard perfectly? If they're honest, they would say, no, I've been a hypocrite too. They're holding Christians to a high standard that they don't even live up to. So only one person that lived the perfect life, that's Jesus Christ. All the rest of us fall short because we are sinful human beings. Next question, how can there be just one true religion? Well, great question. Well, if you understand the nature of truth, truth is absolute, but truth is also narrow. And that truth excludes its opposite. Okay, and that's the nature of truth. Two plus two equals four, and only four. 
There's only one right answer to that. Oh my, how narrow-minded. Well, that's the nature of truth. Okay? I mean, that, a triangle has three sides. Period. My, how narrow-minded. Well, that, that's the nature of truth. Okay? Truth is narrow. Truth is exclusive. And truth is absolute. That's the nature of truth. It wouldn't be truth if it was otherwise. So, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father but through me. Then he stated he is the only way. And the question is, did he confirm that claim? Yes, he did. He claimed to be the divine Son of God and confirmed it through all his miracles in which he demonstrated authority over every realm of creation. No other person comes even close to matching the miracles that Christ did demonstrating authority over every realm of creation. Confucius never did that. Muhammad never did that. No Hindu guru has ever done that. And Jesus prophesied and his resurrection and accomplished his own resurrection from the dead. I mean, when a guy can prophesy and accomplish his own resurrection from the dead, there's something more to him, all right? No other person in the history of the world has ever done that. That's why there can only be one true religion. Because when Jesus said he's the only way and he proved it, then he is the only way. Okay, And that's the nature of truth. Truth excludes its opposite. So since what the other religions teach contradict what Jesus taught and what the Bible teaches, then really... When it comes down to it, there can only be one religion that offers eternal life. Does that mean all religions are wrong in every single thing they teach? No. There's many good ethical teachings in many of the religions that parallel the Bible. Because we're created in the image of God. We have that moral law in our hearts. All right, But there's only one religion that can lead to eternal life and that's through Jesus Christ. Next, isn't Christianity just a psychological crutch? Uh, nope. One of the things unique about Christianity is that there is powerful and compelling evidence for Jesus Christ. Very compelling evidence. Uh, that's why I came to faith in Christ because I saw the power of the evidence there and the reasons that stand and uphold Christianity. So, yes, it's a powerful message that makes you feel good, but more than that, it is true. You don't measure truth by how it makes you feel. You've got to look at the evidence. And there's compelling evidence that shows God exists, that the Bible is indeed an accurate historical work. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who claimed to be the Son of God and confirmed it through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Well, we got a few minutes here, so maybe we'll cover the last question here. Why did you become a Christian? Well, as I shared in the past, you know, I did not grow up as a Christian. I grew up in the Buddhist culture. And here in Hawaii, it's pretty eclectic. It's very pluralistic. Uh, you see a lot of the religions here. And I grew up familiar with many of the religions. And... You know, I went to a very liberal, but a liberal Christian school, and they taught us that the Bible was just a bunch of fairy tales and funny stories. And so we never took it seriously, and the priests in school never really took it seriously either. When I hit 
you know, my teen years, I began asking the questions that we all ask. Why am I here? What am I going to give my life for? What, what is life really all about? And I began to, you know, study Buddhism. And I realized, you know, Buddhism is not a livable system. And then uh, I studied briefly the other religions and saw that they were based mostly on myths and fairy tales, you know. And I was taught that the Bible is simply... Uh, mythology as well and so I became an atheist and that was kind of a dark depressing time in my life because being dominated in the sciences uh, and the sciences being steeped in a naturalist worldview of the school I was at there you know I was thought the universe is simply an accident just a collision of atoms and you know ultimately the universe is gonna die if the universe is an accident we're simply an accident too there's really no rhyme or reason why we're here and eventually we die and we become extinct as well and so ultimately you come to the conclusion all the great atheists came to that life is ultimately meaningless like Ecclesiastes all is just vanity and so it, it was kind of a dark time in my life and then in late in my junior year in high school a friend of mine kidnapped me and brought me to church and there I heard for the first time the gospel message of Jesus Christ that there's a God who created the universe, who loved me, had a plan for my life and desperately wanted a personal relationship with me and came to earth and died on the cross to pay for my sins to make it possible. And I thought, wow, that's the greatest message I've ever heard. And so I prayed in the pew. I said, God of the Bible, if you're for real, I want to know you. And so that began the search. You know, the next day I went back to my high school priest and I shared with him about the gospel message and what I heard in church and he just kind of smiled and laughed and he said, well, any religion is fine. None is more true than the other and if Christianity makes you happy, well, good for you. And I, I was kind of stunned. I thought, here's a guy who's taught this and studied it all his life and he doesn't seem to believe the Bible or that Jesus Christ died and rose again. And I signed up for Bible class at my high school just so I could learn the Bible. And in our classes, we learn all the reasons the Bible could not be true, how it's based on myths and legends, and it's unhistorical, and the miracle claims are not miracles, uh, they're legends, or there's naturalistic explanations to it. And, you know, I'd go to church each week and share with people, hey, this is what I learned in, in class. Christianity is based on these Greek myths. and the exodus and those events never happened there's no historical evidence for any of this and on and on and no one had any answers for me I, and I got discouraged and I was about to walk away from it all and I remember talking to a friend over at lunch and you know, he finally said Pat I have no answers for you but this book might help you out and it was a book on Christian apologetics for the first time I saw the compelling evidence that there is powerful evidence that God exists, that the Bible is historically accurate and he tells us about Jesus Christ who was a real historical person who claimed to be God, lived a very unique life, died and rose again. And uh, When I was done reading that book, first book I ever read from cover to cover, you know, I was 17, I'd never read through a book before. My parents were stunned, thought, oh this guy's suddenly reading a book, what happened? You know, I was just fascinated by what I read and I tested it against my teachers who were skeptics and others and I saw that the evidence, you know, withstood the test. And 
After reading another book on apologetics, I realized the evidence is just too compelling, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And so that's how I came to Christ. And that's my message for all of you as I end this series, that uh, there are many questions out there. Christianity, you know, the Bible can't answer all, every single one of your questions, but I believe on the big questions of life, like the one we covered, God's suffering and evil, I think the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ offers the best and most reasonable answer and the only message of truth and one that brings hope even in the difficult days that we face now and, and will face in times to come. And so I hope you would consider the claims of Jesus Christ and trusting Him as your Lord and Savior. It's been great to be with you. I'll be with you again here on Evidence and Answers. run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>